Slope Day is or was a venerable tradition at Cornell. I say is or was because I haven't actually done the due diligence to check on Google whether it still exists. I didn't go to Cornell. I didn't apply and didn't get in. Keith did. And I have another friend from high school who went there as well. Both of them had told me of this thing called Slope Day where at the end of the winter, when it starts warming up, Cornell being in upstate New York, it's pretty cold there in the wintertime. Students will hide or used to hide uh, liquor somewhere on campus uh, where there's a, a slope kind of out on a field and they would uncover it on this particular day and have a gigantic party. Maybe something that the administration and the professors didn't really want to see happening and probably something that's been banned now that colleges have sort of made it their mission to uh, eliminate cultural institutions like that. In any event, I was always intrigued and kind of jealous of Slope Day. I never experienced something like that living in California where there basically are no seasons. Welcome and thank you for joining Your Mileage May Vary. This is episode 81 and this is Mike. I'm broadcasting by myself today. Keith is in Montenegro. He's almost done with his European tour and I have a lot to talk to you about anyway. So uh, it's going to be a complete, it's going to be a full show today. Um, as always, uh, we look forward to your feedback and questions. You can hit us up at YMMVPod on Twitter. Email us at YMMVPod at gmail.com. We pay you $10 for feedback if you uh, give us some feedback and are so inclined. Um, and we're always interested to hear questions and thoughts from people who listen to the podcast. We know our audience is always growing. And that's sort of exciting for us. Today, uh, I wanted to focus on uh, something a little bit different, at least to start the show. Uh, I was in Canada for about two weeks, which is why uh, Keith and Alyssa were taking command of the show for a bit. I'm sure we'll be able to co-host it uh, soon enough, Keith and I, relatively soon. But I was in Canada and before that, was having some sort of a odd nervous breakdown that I'm going to tell you about a little bit. Um, ever since I was in my mid-20s, I've had problems with uh, panic and anxiety. This is something that mostly affects women, uh, which is interesting because as a man, well, it's kind of emasculating. Uh, it's not something you really want to go talking to people about. So I'm obviously going to jump in front of a bunch of people on a podcast and talk about it, but it is what it is. It's not, it's, it's not very masculine because it basically is telling people that you can't control your own feelings. Like a guy, the basic thing a guy is supposed to do, be able to do is kind of at least control his reactions to things. Men like historically, you know, go to war and, you know, battle. They're supposed to protect their family, all these kinds of things. Like maybe in the prehistoric times, the man would be responsible for fighting off the bear or something. And all of those things kind of require a steely resolve. Like there's no superhero who's like afraid of everything. Right. And so that's, it's, it's not great. Now, that being said, like in our sort of metrosexual present, maybe it's better looked at than it was in the past. Um, but it's still not great. And in fact, statistically, uh, women are something like two or three times more likely to have problems with anxiety than men. There's things, you know, look, men, men get the better of women on a lot of areas. Men are more likely to commit suicide. Um, 
yeah, I mean, they're, 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 they're definitely mental health problems that men have more than women, but this particular woman, one, you know, you sort of, there's like a cultural understanding of women kind of being warriors in any case. Um, it's a real challenge because basically makes it so that like, well, I mean, you could be in a situation where it's like difficult to, to work, to do sort of normal things. I've been lucky or maybe steely nerved enough to, uh, not have that for the most part happen to me, but occasionally, like I have sort of bouts of this that I deal with. Uh, it's usually around some specific uh, anticipation of something crappy that's going to happen. I don't need to get into like the details of my life, but obviously that's going to be something that triggers it. In any event, it does actually affect what you can do in your life and cannot. And I've been very fortunate or steely eyed enough to still do pretty well in my life. Uh, but for a lot of people, uh, it's spins them out completely. And the reason why is that a lot of people, and you can see this on Reddit, if you read certain subreddits, maybe the anxiety one, uh, the agoraphobia one is particularly kind of terrible, terrible in the sense of like, you feel bad for the people on there. Panic attacks, subreddit, there's a bunch of them like that. And these people often are just not able to lead normal lives. Some of them can't leave their house because they get terrified if they leave their house. Some of them can't tolerate kind of everyday situations like going to a supermarket. Now, I'm grateful that I have not experienced those sorts of things, but maybe minor mini versions of those. In any way, you know, for a person who wants to lead a more um, stressful or, you know, life aimed at things that require competition in a capitalist society, it can be sort of challenging because you're naturally going to come up against uh, kind of difficult situations. And I mean, you can you can get your corporate job at Clorox or Fitbit and be doing really well in your life. And then something like this, like a mental illness, a problem comes along and man, you're not going to be, you're not going to be making much progress from there. And people get spun out and you see it on Reddit a lot. So what do people do about this kind of thing? Uh, I have to say that like I, uh, having dealt with this probably for 20 years, it typically hits people in their mid, early to mid twenties. That's when it starts being a problem. Kids, uh, actually nowadays, more and more kids have kind of weird mental health problems. There's a lot of things people do. And I have to say that I'm more of an expert on pharmacology than I ever wanted to be. Um, and we'll have some questions later in the episode, at least one question that where I can <laughs> deploy some of my knowledge in any event. Um, you know, they're, they're drugs people take and then they get addicted to them. I've been fortunate to avoid that. Typically people get addicted to sedatives like benzodiazepines, Xanax, Ativan, Valium. Um, there are other sort of drugs people take, SSRIs. A lot of people take SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Uh, I had a friend who was on one of those and said that, eh, I think it was for depression, anxiety, I'm not sure exactly which, but he said that like for a significant period of time, his penis just felt like a finger, like it just didn't do anything. Can't say I've ever had that happen, but I can understand. But you can see people have to make a trade-off. They have to make a choice. Do I take one of these drugs that maybe lowers the threshold for some terrible mental health consequence, but takes sex away from my life? What do I do? Um, and for a woman, maybe it uh, just takes away her orgasms. Uh, so she can still have sex because like her mechanical parts work. But it's this unfortunate situation where it's not very fun for her. 
Um, so they're SSRIs, they're SNRIs. I'm not going to get into all the different uh, pharmacopoeia around this, uh, but there are a lot of things people do um, to basically deal with this. And really, the science of mental health is not that advanced. I heard a podcast the other day that said when you compare, say, oncology, cancer research to mental health, mental health is just doing terribly. So the suicide rate actually is going up. I mean, the cancer survival rate is going up, but you know, the mental health survival rate is going down. Other countries have strange ways of dealing with this, in my view. Uh, look, in the United States, I mean, just go to the benzodiazepines. I won't spell it for you. You can look it up, subreddit, and you'll just see these people who are just massively addicted to these drugs. It's a problem. However, there are use cases for them, for people like me that sometimes uh, have freakout sessions. Uh, in the UK, they don't want people prescribing those drugs. That sucks. Uh, so they're basic, <laughs> they're very British about it, rub some dirt on it. Hey, look, you have an anxiety disorder, just uh, figure it out. The first line of treatment actually is something called cognitive behavioral therapy. I bet that works for a lot of people. It reminds me of meditation. I spent like a year and a half doing Vipassana meditation. Not constantly. I mean, I did it like three times a week uh, with a group of people. And what I learned from that was, um, you know, to be present with what's going on, mindfulness, right? This was a long time ago, by the way. It was before it became trendy to do mindfulness, before the apps came out. It was like in 2005. I had a friend who, uh, from high school, actually, a different friend, not the one who went to Cornell, who uh, like lived in a Zendo for five years or something. He became like a Zen monk. Uh, now I think the <laughs> he's not a Zen monk anymore. I think the correct term is burnout. He's now a burnout. You probably agree with that. In any event, he told me the same thing. Like, look, you just have to be mindful. You have to be present with what's going on. He said, you know, it's okay if you're an alcoholic or a sex fiend, as long as you're present while you're doing it. All right. My experience with that was great. Now I'm miserable and super aware of it. If I feel, you know, if I'm feeling anxious, terrible, here I am. While I was in Canada, I read a book by Wallace Stegner called A Shooting Star. It made me feel good in the midst of feeling shitty. Because the, the book said in 1960, 1960 uh, so it's kind of the end of the 1950s era. You know, they still use nasty terms to refer to people who aren't white. And uh, uh, it's before the Beatles. It's before like kind of people loosened up and you got into the 60s. In any event, the people were taking drugs, real hard drugs. Benzodiazepines hadn't been discovered yet. So they're taking second all. Real tranquilizers. These are things that can kill you. Benzodiazepines won't kill you unless you take something else at the same time or try to drive. <laughs> Don't want to do that. Anyway, it made me feel better about myself because you go, oh, look, these people are taking real hard drugs. Anyhow, jump shift. Uh, today, a 12-year-old girl who's a friend of the family was over at our house and she decided uh, with our daughter to draw it was mostly this girl, not our daughter, to draw a, a hopscotch uh, path or whatever, a hopscotch game on her driveway, a really long one. And, I, you know, I thought, okay, in chalk, you know, so, okay, this looks good. I didn't really care. Um, with maybe like 20 little squares that you're supposed to hop on. And I was a little bit startled when I looked out the upstairs window and I noticed that uh, the first square was that you're gay. 
No, no. The first square was you're straight. And the last square was that you're gay. And the word gay was really big. So I went down and I said, like, what, what's going on here? I mean, look, a hopscotch game already looks a bit like a cock. And so now you have a big cock written on your driveway that starts out straight and goes to gay. And then I, I, I started looking at the other squares of what this girl was drawing. And uh, I took some pictures of them, actually. Let me, uh, let me pull this up here. Essentially, this girl had decided to draw all the different um, genders or, or like sort of gender identifications she was aware of. So she wrote homosexuals, bisexual, pansexual, abrosexual. Abrosexual. I learned that that means somebody who she told me that I didn't know that word. Abrosexual is somebody who oscillates all the time, meaning like today I'm gay, tomorrow I'm straight, the next day I'm, I don't know, something else. Uh, let's see, asexual, aromantic, pan, hang on, pan romantic? Wait, I think it says pan romantic. I'm reading off my phone here. Let's see. Uh, biromantic, non-binary, gender fluid, demi, demisexual. There's a lot of these. Uh, demi boy, demi girl, lesbian, sapphic. Sa sapphic must be lesbian, right? I mean, isn't that poetry of, I don't want, yeah, okay. Gay, two-spirited, straight, and then, oh, right, it's aero-ace, which is aromantic, asexual. And then the end was gay. Of course, so then we gave her a ride home. We were driving with her and uh, she was in the back seat. And then she started holding forth. First of all, she was sort of disappointed because she didn't get to put everything she knew on this thing. She didn't put queer uh, she didn't put, um, you know, transsexual FTM, T MTF. There, there were a bunch. She was sort of bummed out. She didn't get to put, um, I still don't know what to think because the thing's still written on my driveway. Um, but like I was thinking to myself as we were driving and she was holding forth. I mean, first of all, it's strange to have a 12 year old girl in your back seat explaining sexuality to you as a fully grown man. I mean, it's just not something you would have seen 20 or 10 years ago or more. I mean, 50 years ago, it'd be like a, it just would be impossible. It'd be like a, some sort of strange scene from a weird erotica movie. Nothing erotic about it. It was just mostly strange. Um, and there wasn't much I could do to respond because uh, she's a 12-year-old girl. <clears throat> so what am I supposed to say back to her? It did make me think about this article that a friend sent me about eating disorders and how they spread in schools. So eating disorders are not something that people think of or uh, born with. They have, to, they have to sort of learn about it. You know, some people will innovate it uh, just by random chance, but most people won't think uh, of it, of getting an eating disorder. Um, they'll act out in various ways, but they won't come up with that. And so research has shown that eating disorders have are sort of social contagion. They spread in something like a school because one girl starts doing it and then another sees it and thinks it's kind of cool or interesting or that's the wrong word choice. She feels forced to for some psychological reasons. That's more fair. And then it moves through the school like that. Now, what's the relevance here? The article that the friend sent me was pointing out that the uh, spread of these 
unusual or innovative gender identities and sexualities um, in schools among largely tween and teenage girls follows a similar pattern. Uh, there are some schools, maybe schools that are less in areas that are left less left leaning, maybe schools with less uh, less well off parents, where they're a little less likely to um, have the spare time and cash to be sort of thinking about these things. Where like you just don't see a whole lot of this, uh, like eating, like with eating disorders, um, it's not really something you see in sort of more modest income areas. It's it's kind of a, 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 a it's like gout. It's like a, an illness of the wealthy. Uh, and so you see something similar. And so in certain upper class and upper middle class schools, you see 20, 30% of the young girls identifying now as some kind of unusual non-binary gender or non, you know, they're not, they're, they don't consider themselves girls anymore. They consider themselves something different. And it's the argument made by the article is that it's, it's spreading in the same way. Um, <clears throat> these girls are for whatever reason, f- feeling psychological pressure to resolve whatever they're unhappy with about their lives by taking on this identity. Um, and of course, the risk is, like with eating disorders, that there'll be some un... Well, with eating disorders, it's obvious, the negative consequence. With this one, it's not as obvious, although maybe it is. Maybe it's obvious that um, girls will you know, not be happy with who they are as they get older and be unable to have sort of stable relationships potentially. I'm not sure, but that seems like a risk, and uh, it's an interesting, an interesting problem to to think about. In any event, uh, the basic argument would be that most of these girls who are thinking in terms of being non, not a girls or trans or that sort of thing, maybe 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 are just doing that because of social persuasion. Some of them genuinely have an identity that's where they're confused, but it's hard to imagine that twenty or thirty percent of them do. Um, now generally it makes me concerned that society is basically telling people, telling young people, telling people in general that it's cool, uh, to have a problem like this. Now it's tricky to say something's a problem. Like they might say it's not a problem. Like I could say, um, having anxiety, uh, getting panic attacks, not a problem. It's just who I am. But you see, it really is a problem. Like it's, 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 it's not great. And honestly, anybody who has a mental illness could tell you and knows that you don't want a mental illness. It's the kind of thing where, you know, someone like me who has a problem like this, I'd probably pay a, a million bucks, maybe 10 million bucks if I could to have somebody remove it from my brain, but they can't. It sucks. So I'm sort of like hammer, I'm not like Jay-Z. Uh, in case you don't know the reference, 30 million can't hurt Jay-Z, but it did hurt Hammer. I don't think I could afford 30 million. I'd pay a lot though to have that removed from my brain. It's too bad to the extent society is fetishizing and encouraging uh, people to self-identify as having a disorder or problem if they don't have it. Now, some people do have the problem and I'm not trying to attack that at all. I'm not trying to say there's something, you know, like if you have the problem, you have the problem. But people who don't have gender dysphoria or don't have confusion in that area should be grateful. And it sucks. It sucks to the extent society is sort of encouraging people to go the other direction. So anyway, 
coming back from my vacation, I, uh, not feeling great. And I listened to a podcast and was encouraged by a member of my family, uh, to really consider whether, uh, these new psychedelic treatments for, uh, disorders like the one I have might be useful. Um, now psychedelics are things like LSD shrooms. And if you're anxious, an anxious person, like that doesn't sound like a great strategy, right? You think, okay, like this is going to, this is going to suck because you do this thing and then you're out of control and like your brain's going to go insane. But you know, look, I was feeling, I, I, some way, in some ways I have to like have some steely eyed determination and most of my life I have sort of rubbed, rubbed dirt on it the old UK way. Uh, although I do know more about pharmacology than I'd like to. Uh, so I looked around and my hometown here in the East Bay of, uh, San Francisco Bay area, it turns out that they've, look at this, they've, uh, decriminalized, or I think they have, who cares, uh, hallucinogens. So I found a church, a church. I joined their religion. Uh, I'm not going to give the name. I'm not going to plug them. But I found a church here in the East Bay of the San Francisco Bay Area where you can basically go in, join their religion, sign a bunch of papers, and buy shrooms. So I did. This was last week. And today, oh dear listeners, for your enjoyment and mine, I actually they actually gave me as a new member of their church. I think it's a church so they can like use the first amendment as a whip to stop themselves from getting shut down. And they've been raided and I think they're busy suing the government or something now. Anyway, I had no problems. They also gave me some microdosing capsules. So actually last week I took one of those and it was kind of fun. I don't actually know what was in it. Uh, it made the colors bright, very bright. I went for a walk. It was fine. Today I was like, ah, I gotta, I gotta amp it up. So I decided to have my very own slope day. It was actually not intentional. Uh, I took some amount of this stuff and I ate it and then I went for a walk. I thought it wasn't doing anything. I thought this is kind of stupid. Must have, I you know, got some bum, bum shrooms or something. Uh, I walked about a mile and a half and when I was coming back down the hill, I started like, well, I was looking up at a hill slope and a tree trunk started to look like a person. So that was concerning. It does sort of, I mean, I, I, I can picture it in my head and it did sort of have, anyway, it, it shouldn't have looked like a person. And I was like, I, I think I'm gonna have to go sit down somewhere. And, uh, so I did, uh, now where I live, uh, in the East Bay of the San Francisco Bay area <clears throat> is actually on a slope. We have a nice view of the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco downtown and so forth, Alcatraz and Treasure Island. It's really a nice spot. So I went in through the gate because I didn't want like my family members to know what was going on. <laughs> and I went down to the slope and sat down and spent like two hours just sitting there. One thing I would say for sure is that uh, Pink Floyd's music, I mean, I always liked Pink Floyd music, but it makes a lot more sense to me now why people like it. I get it. Uh, the experience was kind of relentless. Um, Essentially, I didn't take enough. I mean, the people have these kind of crazy religious experiences. I'm not sure I want to do that. 
um, the way I interpret that is that they're unable to sort of keep it together at all. Uh, I had the experience that, um, and it reminded me a lot of two things. One is when you really need to fall asleep, let's say you're driving somewhere and it's really boring and you're kind of nodding off. And of course the right thing to do is to pull over the car and take a nap, which I generally do in that situation because I'm not an idiot. I do not take my Tesla. I don't have a Tesla, but if I had one, I would not put it on autopilot as some people do and just let it drive me. In any event, uh, it felt like that, like, like I couldn't, like if I really put some kind of mental effort and I don't really know what that even means, a mental effort in that sense. But if I put a mental effort at it, I could keep myself fully engaged. But if I did not, uh, then strange things started happening. Like I would kind of not lose consciousness, but lose the ability to kind of hold the present moment together, like to keep my consciousness non-fragmented and it would sort of fall apart. And then I would start having like the standard, you know, all the things like (laughs) all like the pictures from Woodstock and stuff like that makes sense. I should mention, like, I haven't done this before. I'm sure listeners have, and they're like, this is really boring. I've done this all the time. Fine. Another thing it reminded me of this sort of falling feeling reminded me of sex. Um, kind of a submissive feeling, like basically you can't completely control your mental state, like when you're getting close to orgasm, or also indeed when you are kind of being kind of forced or pushed uh, emotionally or pushed sexually into doing something by your emotional attachment or whatever. So for example, uh, you know, if uh, I really, really, really want to, if I'm really horny and because of that, I want to like stick my, my dick somewhere like that kind of like urge an urge. That's the right way to say it. So you have this urge to just sort of let reality go. Um, and it's sort of submissive in the sense that like when that happens, you have this feeling that like you are, you're unable to bubble up to the surface. Like you're going into a deep ocean or something and like you can't you can get yourself back to the surface, but it's hard. And so you uh, kind of sub- you wind up kind of submerging yourself and just like accepting the situation. I'd read enough about this to know that like fighting against it is a terrible decision and going to be, you know, if you're already prone to be anxious, not a great call. So <clears throat> a couple of things that I experienced also uh, from this trip was uh, you notice how hard it is for your mind to mock up reality? Like your mind's obviously, your brain's doing a bunch of computations and stuff. I think that's why you see all these geometric things and weird blurs of color and stuff like that when you're using this drug. Like you, you, your brain is trying to sort of keep up with the computations it needs to do to give you, like to keep your visual system working, but it can't. Um, so yeah, it gives you some respect for like the... Uh, the hard work your brain has to do to, to actually make reality kind of stable and consistent for you. Um, and also, yeah, I mean, the second one, second takeaway I had was that the, uh, <clears throat> it really is like, like falling asleep. It, it, it like, it's not that different from an ordinary sort of quotidian experience. I mean, you fall asleep every night and this was a lot like that. It's just, you're not losing consciousness. Like the ability to observe what's going on remains. So you're going into kind of a dream, dream-like situation, but you're still fully conscious. Um, and that really, I think less so now, but when I was sort of 18 years old as a man, a lot of ways that is what my sexual experience was like. Like it was just very hardcore. It was like 
I would just like go into this other mode and want to do things and uh, have difficulty prying myself away. Um, it's sort of, yeah, it was just altered consciousness. What I'm, I'm saying, my sex urge when I was like 18. So in some ways, I think as a woman, if you want to understand like what the a crazy sex drive, if you're a woman without a crazy sex drive, I know we've got some listeners, female listeners who have that, maybe doing uh, something like shrooms would teach you that. Now, would I do it again? I'm not sure. It lasted a long time. It was kind of relentless. I got kind of tired of it after a while. Mm. I did not try masturbating while doing it. I don't think I would have wanted to. Um, and I think I had all the standard experiences. It does make a lot of the psychedelic and sort of like hippie stuff make a lot more sense. It's like, oh, this is what they were all seeing. Like they're just, they were just drawing pictures of what they saw. Yeah. So I have no idea if that will have any sort of long run impacts on my general mental health. Uh, you're supposed to do it with a guide. Like there are these, there's like this Berkeley center for psychedelic research and they say, oh, you should have like some, well, first of all, they want you to take like a much larger dose that I'm a little reluctant, I would be reluctant to do. Uh, you know, you're supposed to have your ego dissolve and so forth, which I could sort of understand what they're talking about now when they say that, but I'm not sure like that I really need to go that far. Um, time will tell if it has any sort of actual lasting impact on me, but kind of fun. And, uh, just shows what you can do if you're willing to grit your teeth and, and do it. Of course, I'm sure a lot of you have done this already and are laughing at me. All right, let's get on to some questions about sex because that's what I'm good at. Well, not sex. I'm good at answering questions about sex. Okay. This person wants to know what happens if you have sex without the woman being wet first. Now, I've, I'll read the full content here in a second, but as I've said before, like in some ways that can be good for the guy up to a point. Like the optimum level of wetness is sort of medium wet because if the woman is too wet, like you kind of have a loss of friction. Okay. Me and my boyfriend never do anything like foreplay really and just go straight into it. And I'm not wet until he's thrusted a few times, which is a little sore at first. I was just wondering if this is unhealthy and if we should stop and maybe use, use lube or something. The pain isn't something I mind. I'm just worried it would cause any, if it will cause any harm. Now, <clears throat> Somebody responds, my vagina hurts for you. To be fair, uh, I mean, like the complete absence of foreplay is not a good situation here, nor is it a good sign relationship wise. So look, obviously this is something she should bring up and try to correct with her significant other. But the, uh, the truth is that even if there is foreplay, like usually the sort of external part of the vulva there is going to be kind of dry in most situations when you first start. So something will have to be done to kind of correct that situation. And, uh, you know, saliva, lube, they're basic things you can do. It also is somewhat typical in my experience to kind of like use your penis, kind of get some of the lubrication from inside her vagina and kind of bring it out as it were. And essentially what that involves is like thrusting very shallowly at first or kind of maneuvering it around to kind of lube it up. Um, and that sort of generally will do this without tugging so much that it would cause tears or injury or something like that. Um, generally, I suspect this is more common than you might think. Um, I've never, as a man, I've never subjected a woman to this, just like straight into it. Um, 
you see it a fair amount in porn and on cam sites you see a lot of people of people using lube i mean it's just a reality like you're not as a woman like the positive of being a woman in the camming situation or in the porn situation is like you don't have to get an erection back to like the example or like the monologue i gave regarding ssris like as a guy you could be in a situation for various reasons where you can't you just can't get it up you can't get an erection you could be having a refractory period because you just nutted earlier or you know you could be really drunk um of course that never happens to me um i uh generally can get a rock hard erection on command uh without any real issues um but uh for the i've heard that this can happen to some people and for those to whom it can happen um you know that 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 this blocks you from having sex but the woman doesn't have that the flip side of course being that like the fact that a woman can have sex done to her even though she's not aroused means that this type of situation can, can happen can't really happen to a guy because he just wouldn't get an erection um so i mean the standard uh, advice of communication is probably right here and warranted but also um uh i don't think it's that uncommon to sort of have to get some lubrication out uh one way or another for the sort of surface of the vulva let's move on okay this guy got a BJ anywhere, anytime agreement. It's pretty good. <laughs> but he wants to know, is cashing it in during an argument unrealistic? So me and my girlfriend are both 22. I mean, just a note, it's my girlfriend and I, not me and my girlfriend. Me and you put yourself last. We have two things like that. Okay. They're both 22. We have a dom sub relationship sexually, but outside too. Recently, we came up with a BJ anywhere, anytime voucher. Valid once a day. Once a day. Huh. Okay. She said she'd do it no matter what. She said this meant if she was sleeping, on the phone, were arguing in public, etc. I want to know how realistic it is to try and cash this in during an argument. She's into that on your knees, let me use your mouth talk. We have quite fiery arguments. She said she'd be down, but I don't think it's realistic to think anybody would be. Am I setting myself up for disaster if I cash it in mid-argument? Yeah, you are. You are. Uh, it's, this is like somebody in the comments says they'd be scared of teeth. That's not the risk. The risk is basically that you have like this, this positive thing that she's obviously has like kind of a fetish around, uh, and she's trying to make it fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, okay. If you, if your goal was to use this in the most pernicious negative way possible, like you could blow this up really quickly. Like. You know, so let's say you're in the bathroom having a bowel movement, diarrhea, and you call her in. I mean, there's just situations where like she's going, she might do it, but it's like the worst possible. She, you know, it's something where she's going to think, oh, okay, this is why this is a mistake. This is why I shouldn't have done it. Um, you know, in public, maybe, I, you know, that's a situation where it's kind of absurd. Like she it could be illegal potentially. Um, I'm trying to think of other like crazy situations. You know, if you, if you're, oh, like if you've just been going to the gym, right? So you're just not, it's just not going to smell good at all. It's just going to be a negative experience. So something involving the bathroom, the gym, in public, this argument thing as well, you know, a situation where she would just absolutely know. And actually, frankly, like her, I, the notion of being awakened to give a blow, to give a blow doesn't sound great to me either. I mean, when women, I mean, I'm generally skeptical 
of the whole idea of women, and this is common, saying that they want to be uh, have free use availability even when they're asleep. Because I think like when somebody's asleep, like they wake up, and some percentage of the time you're going to wake up and not really be in the mood. It's just going to happen, and so now, like you're basically subjecting someone to sex when you're not in the, when they're not in the mood, and you you know that's going to happen some percentage of the time. But this would amp it up even further because it's like it's not. Well, I mean, to the previous uh, question, like to some extent, a woman can, you know, not really being enjoying it, but like kind of lube, use lube in her vulva vagina, and like sort of it's fine. But if you're giving a blow, like it's pretty hard for her just to like let it happen. I mean, it's you know, if, if he was going to beat off next to her, that would be a little less um, aggressive. So anyway, I don't, I don't think the right way for the guy to manage this is to try to um, <clears throat> be as aggressive as possible. The right thing to do is to try to get what he can out of it, like positive stuff. There's another side to this, of course, which is like, why is she offering this? Um, she's offering this most likely because she's terrified that you're going to cheat on her. And so she thinks, oh, if I'm completely sexually available to him, then like he has no reason to do that uh, or to like, yeah, to even think about other women. I think that's tip- a typical reason. I mean, there could also be a fetishy thing. Like she's just like, she just thinks it's hot. Um, but I, uh, I don't know. I'm skeptical of that. Uh, I think that most of it is, I think most of the time, the reason a woman sort of finds this compelling is because she's nervous uh, about infidelity and she wants to sort of lock the guy down with something that she perceives as being very valuable to him. Okay. Somebody says they tried quitting their antidepressants again. Here we go. Because they can't orgasm. It's a woman. She says, it was an awful idea. I'm back on them now. I'm a female who has been on fluoxetine. Fluoxetine is the generic for Prozac on and off since the age of 14. And I'm pretty sure it has affected my sexual development since I've never been able to orgasm my entire life. That sucks. That sucks. I even bought a vibrator and tried everything to orgasm, but I simply can't. Huh. That particularly would suck for a man. I've read, I've not experienced this, but I've read that these drugs can give a man an orgasmia. And yeah, that would suck because it means you get an erection and you're kind of like, you get right up to the end, but you can't come. So she's basically describing the same thing, just uh, the female side of it. Very frustrating and particularly frustrating if you never actually have gotten there. Anyway, I never thought it was a big deal until I started having sex. I always thought these orgasms you see in porn were fake, but apparently I was wrong. I get mildly jealous of my girlfriend's orgasms. Okay, so she must be a lesbian. I laughed when she said they she met God during one of her orgasms. We talked about my inability and it's honestly frustrating. I don't know how to cope with this because I don't let her do anything to me since I know it'll just frustrate both of us. Yeah, that sucks. I do think that there are, um, yes, people are saying like, see your doctor and stuff. I think that's right. There are um, drug regimens that you can um, use to improve the situation. Um, here's somebody saying, yeah, there are conflicting studies uh, that sometimes people just take a really, really long time to come on these drugs. What I've read is that uh, the this is obviously not true for this particular questioner, but that these medications, typically the sexual side effects wear off 
after some number of weeks, obviously not for her because she's been taking it for a really long time. Um, <clears throat> here's somebody saying that they just used Prozac for two weeks and they still can't, you know, like presumably a long time ago and it's still messed up their sexual function. That's a drag. You know, one thing that sucks about this type of stuff is that, and this is like a thing with mental health generally is like you, like your brain is in some ways an unstable equilibrium. You, you have what you perceive as normal. And then if you start taking a drug, okay, now you're using something to make it better, but it messes something up and you go, okay, well then I'll take another drug to fix the thing that I messed up. But you see, it's like this, this seesaw thing where you're going to keep fixing one thing and breaking another thing and fixing one thing and breaking another thing. And there isn't really a solution to that. It's just a drag. It's because we don't really know how the brain works. Like people, people don't, I certainly don't. I'm just a sex podcaster. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's it like that's kind of a crappy uh, set of interventions that people can wind up going down, um, and there aren't great solutions. She says that when she tried not taking the Prozac, something terrible happened. I assume it, um, whatever her, whatever she she was given it for, came back, and there's a whole bunch of things people are given these drugs for, from depression, anxiety. OCD, whole bunch of things. So who knows why? Uh, but yeah, I mean that's a that's a that's a real problem. And you know, there are um, lots of there's lots of data suggesting that young people are less interested in sex now than they were, say, 30 years ago. Not having sex as frequently, um, delaying their first time having sex, um, masturbating less, stuff like that. That's probably not true for the audience of this podcast because it's going to be self-selected to be people who are more interested in sex, obviously. But one wonders now, of course, you know, people say, oh, this is because of cell phones and social media. And I'm sure that's partly true, uh, basically discouraging people interacting directly with one another, people just getting kind of weird and sitting in their bedrooms all the time. I think that's sort of right. If you just go around any city nowadays, you see I think significantly fewer teenagers just kind of out doing things than you would have maybe 20 years ago. But this could also be a factor. Um, you have so many uh, young people now who are diagnosed with mental illnesses. If you go to a school, uh, say the school counselor uh, and talk to them nowadays, uh, school counselors have to be up on all these different sort of mental health medications because it's so common whether it's for ADD or um, depression or OCD or these different problems, autism, there are medications people take for that. And a lot of these medications have sexual side effects. And so it makes you wonder if some people are not as interested in sex because of that, which is a drag. <clears throat> it sucks that people would have to choose between like, you know, some sort of mental illness, you know, fixing that, or let's see, they have to choose between kind of, a solution that sort of helps alleviate this problem or being able to have an orgasm. That's a crappy choice to have to make. I am grateful to have not had to make that choice in my life, but uh, I can, I can imagine it and that sucks. Okay. A little more lighthearted here. How to use your penis during sex. Hmm. I was always curious when people say men don't know how to use their penis during sex and how they just thrust in and out. My question is, how do you use your dick properly during sex to make your partner feel good? That's different, by the way. 
but do you angle it differently? Rub against the clit while PIV? Somebody says they think it's about rhythm. I don't think that's right. Um, so uh, one thing I would say is that like men know what I'm talking about. Actually, women probably would too. If you watch videos, porns of lesbians using strap-ons, like they don't maneuver it correctly. They don't, they actually don't move their hips properly in my view. Like it doesn't look like the way a guy would do it. It's kind of comical. So there is something to like the, the motion that a guy makes. In terms of using it properly to make your partner feel good, that's kind of tricky. Um, I think that the uh, best advice that I've seen there is from a lady on TikTok who is extremely animated about getting guys to stop stop kind of thrusting in and out like their penis is a dildo. Um, her essential argument is that men um, have sex the way they do in the United States because they're largely circumcised. So as a result, their foreskin can't roll back and forth the way it would if they were uncircumcised or nat in the natural state. And the essential argument is that an uncircumcised sized man is more likely to sort of fully insert it and then kind of, uh, kind of grind back and forth. Ah, what am I, let me describe that more clearly. Grind in the sense of like, instead of kind of pulling the entire penis almost completely out and then pushing it back in again, kind of keep it almost fully inserted and then kind of go from almost fully inserted to fully inserted. So basically withdraw just a small amount and go back in. And that's because there's more stimulation given by the foreskin um, uh, in contact with a woman's vagina. Whereas if you don't have that foreskin, you have to basically get the head of the penis stimulated somehow. And so that's more likely to be uh, by sort of pulling it further out. And her argument is basically, and this makes sense, that uh, for the from the woman's perspective, like the thing that's more compelling for the woman is basically to have her clit caught between the two pubic bones of the partner's. So she wants him to remain fully inserted and then kind of grind, do that. Uh, she calls it, what does she call it? Uh, not thrust. She has some word for it. Sh scoot. She calls it scooting. You probably could search TikTok scoot and find this lady. Um, she has some new thing she's on to now. Um, some, something slightly different. Probably car mechanic or something. No, but, but she, yeah, she's, she's, people, people switch it up, right? She had, she did like 30 videos about this scoot thing and then she's moved on to something else. Um, I'm sure she really, is just trying to monetize somehow or something. Um, one person says it's not so much about the dick. Many men think they just have to thrust in and out a few times, switch from missionary to doggy, and that's it. Sex is more than that, or at least good sex. There's foreplay, kissing, touching. Yeah, that's true. Largely, look, I mean, most women uh, care more about getting oral from the guy than they do about exact thrusting techniques. Keith's experience notwithstanding, um, his PIV experience of, ma of many, many women having orgasms from it. Um, I think generally women prefer receiving oral. And that is typically, I mean, that's why you see many, so many women kind of complaining because their partners do not want to provide oral sex to them. And so they, they're not happy about that. Okay. Here's one up my own alley. How can I learn to suck my own dick? So I'm looking for experiences from people who actually can suck their own dick. Look, no one can really suck their own dick. Okay. But okay. I want to, I want to mate this person must have English as a second language because said, I want to mate it and I will make it. Okay. He wants to make it. So please give me tips. I don't know where to start. What kind of stretching do I need to do for this? I'm afraid of an injury. 
right? So, I mean, you probably hurt your your back or your ribs or something. Um, this person's saying you need to see if you're flexible enough uh, and have a long enough cock. I think the long cock is unfortunately kind of important. Um, <laughs> personally, this person says, find someone else to let you suck their cock is just as good, often much better. Yeah, I don't think that's what most guys who have this question are looking for. So the typical thing that people uh, recommend is, and this is not, okay, there's a couple things you can do. If, if you're stretchy enough, you can basically sit in a chair or maybe scoot your butt to the edge of the chair and kind of lean over and just kind of like compress your stomach down and lean and you might be able to get there. The other thing you see people do, and this is what you see in porn a lot, I mean, if you watch that, look, I've seen this kind of porn. It's not something I would really enjoy that much. Like this, it's it's pretty much the worst. It's close to the worst possible porn, but you can find it. It's auto fellatio, uh, and it's uh, a guy will scoot so that his back. So let's see, his neck, his back is going up along a wall, like in his house. His neck is at the base. His head is at the base of the wall. So his head is like his neck is at a ninety degree angle. His back is going up the wall, and then it'll kind of bend his leg like bend his back so his legs kind of go over his head and maybe even get to the point where his feet are touching the ground. Is that possible? Maybe, maybe. That's kind of crazy. Uh, and in that position, you can sort of get the cock close to the head. Uh, I say that I have some expertise on this because when I was much, much younger, I was able to do this. And actually somewhat recently, I was able to validate that it's still possible for me. The problem is you can't really suck it uh, in my experience. And I have like a pretty big penis. Um, and I'm fairly flexible. Uh, the best you can really do is kind of get your like tongue to touch the head of your cock. I have been able to do that in my life. It's not compelling at all. I don't recommend it. I think the risk of injury definitely outweighs any sort of compelling benefit here. And like, it's not even like it's a good party trick or something. You're not going to make any money doing this on Chatterbait. Like, if there was a way to give negative tokens, like some sort of black hole tokens that steal money for you, from you on Chatterbait, I would give negative tokens to people for doing this. Uh, if I could sort of, yeah, like unclick advertisements on Pornhub when people post videos of this, I would like, it's just not something it reminds me of like, well, unfortunately this, uh, subreddit got banned for not having a moderator, but when the, uh, gone wild tube subreddit was working every so often guys, it was just, it's an amateur porn subreddit or was, uh, guys would post, uh, videos of themselves, solo videos. And they would always get like algorithmically always get zero. They would just get downvoted. You know, they'd get negative something. Uh, and this is like that. It's just not something anybody wants to see. So like, I don't know. It's not compelling. There's no reason to do it. And um, uh, and then of course the worst possible, which I do not have any experience with, is I don't even know. It's, it's amazing to me that guys are able to nut in this position because it's so uncomfortable. It's like... What are you doing? But uh, yeah, I mean, the worst is like, I've seen, you know, yeah, the auto fellatio videos, the guys will actually manage like a, on their back with their cock over their mouth to nut in their own mouth. And that's just <laughs> like way to take a good thing and make it into a bad thing. Like what I, I guess if they think they're dominating themselves, I'm submitting to myself. Uh, I doubt it. My guess is it's just not pleasant. Uh, but that, I have no experience with that. I can't imagine that would be positive at all. Okay, next question. Do all dicks have a natural smell? 
I've always had this impression that dicks have a mild, natural, dicky smell ever since my first encounter with a dick since 16. But recently, I encountered this guy whose dick didn't have a smell. Now I'm just in shock. Did I just suck a bunch of stinky dicks in my past, or do all dicks have natural smells and it varies between people? I'm also questioning my memory. I'm not sure if all dicks in the past smelled or if that's just in my head. Okay. So somebody says like he probably bathed recently. I think that's generally right. Like, um, my general impression here is that it does not have much of an odor if the person is well bathed. Um, it's not like a lollipop, uh, where it like, I mean, it sort of seems like, I guess if you're used to putting bananas and like when I put cylindrical objects in my mouth, there's usually a flavor, even my toothbrush, uh, you know, will have like minty toothpaste on it. So it is kind of odd to think about, but I think that generally there's not a whole lot of smell or taste. Of course, like it's a person's body. So there's going to be some odor associated with that, just like there would be with their arm or their face. Um, but in general, I think that if there's some meaningful odor, that it's a hygiene problem. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I actually, the, the impression that I've gotten from reading about this is that the more, it's more interesting that it has no taste and odor, right? That it's like sort of uh, from, from reading accounts by women of giving blows, it's like, oh, it's kind of notable that like, it's, yeah, it just tastes like nothing, which is weird because usually when you put something in your mouth, it has a flavor. Like you don't usually put things in your mouth that have no flavor at all. Like that's because your mouth is for eating typically, eating and breathing, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think this person just typically, um, had, uh, partners who had a little hygiene problems. Okay. This one is just, this is a good one. Touchy, very touchy. My Jewish girlfriend, Jewish girlfriend wants to do Nazi role play. Okay. So I've, okay. So I'm kind of new to kinky acts in the bedroom, all forms of role play. Always been a vanilla sex kind of lad, but recently pleasing my girlfriend and trying to do as much as I can to help her get off. Or at least recently she told me she's a masochist with a serious desire for humiliation. It would be a turn on if I degraded her and acted like some sort of fa fascist, calling her names and getting physical. I really don't know how to feel about this. It's not that I don't want to make my girlfriend enjoy herself, but it seems pretty extreme and I don't want to do something we might both regret. Yeah, he should definitely not do this. Um, there, uh, I've seen something similar where a person had a girlfriend who was African-American and there was some conversation about pretending they were in the South in the 19th century. And that sounded like a freaking terrible idea to me as well. Because, yeah, I mean, it's just like, I look, uh, these are like touchy enough subjects that it seems likely that the, the most logical thing to do is to divorce like your play from like things that are real. It would be like, it would be like if you picked, this is not like, so this is not the same because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something more negative, but if you picked a negative attribute about a person, obviously being Jewish is not a negative attribute, but if you were to pick a negative attribute about somebody, about your girlfriend and during sex, start making fun of her about that. Let's say that she was sensitive about her nose or her chin or her boobs, something like that. Uh, it just, I, I don't think that's the right way to go. Um, because people will naturally sort of be bothered by it. And the truth is like, these are topics that do naturally bother people. Uh, maybe, you know, in a thousand years, people won't be bothered by these topics, but they still are. 
uh, in our modern society. And like, you're just, you're just asking for it. Like it'll, it's all well and good. But then if you say one thing wrong, uh, you're going to, yeah, you're going to, you're going to have a serious problem on your hands and it just doesn't seem like what's the, what's the benefit to her. I mean, I think that, I think, I think you can humiliate somebody without, uh, conjuring up demons of history like that. Um, so that's, that's my advice is to, is to steer clear of that and, and, and start somewhere else. That being said, I'm sure it wouldn't surprise me if there were people out there who had relationships where they did this stuff and there was no problem whatsoever. <clears throat> okay. What should I say to a guy when I'm giving him a hand or blowjob? He says things like right there, keep going, babe, etc. I don't really know what I should say. Obviously when giving a blow, it's tricky. Uh, this is actually a topic that comes up kind of nor- uh, frequently. It's a topic that porn stars, kind of professional porn stars are terrible at. They're terrible at knowing what to do. It's like, it's the reason why for the most part, the 3D porn on the Oculus is just absolutely atrocious because it's professionally produced porn, POV. And the women, their behavior is just not realistic at all. You know, they, they're constantly kind of, they're trying, it's like they're trying to encourage you, but it's just very unrealistic and play acted. In general, the thing that the guy wants is for you to be into what's going on. So, uh, it's going to be individual. Like, you know, you have to ask yourself, how do you, uh, typically portray to somebody that you're into something that you're excited about something that's going on. And then you're going to want to do that. Um, guys also really want, uh, and like, uh, the woman to be sort of interested in his level of arousal and his orgasm. So kind of encouraging him, uh, is a smart move, but you want to do it in kind of a believable, realistic way. So like, if you pretend like him nutting is going to like make your head explode, that's a mistake. Like it, it, it can't be overwrought. It has to be sort of like a reasonable, believable level of excitement about it. Um, but saying absolutely nothing and just being sort of stoned, stone faced as you're giving a guy a hand job is kind of strange too. Um, you can also ask questions, um, you know, being involved in different ways, like sort of, uh, but, but I think, I think the main thing is just sort of gen, gentle, reasonable encouragement using a tone of voice and a style that is familiar. So it makes sense, uh, given what you're doing. Another thing is like, yeah, he's going to like it if you're getting turned on too. So of course it might be some sort of like rubbing your head and patting your stomach kind of thing. But if you were able to masturbate yourself at the same time, like a guy would really like to sort of, for example, to have his dick in your mouth and you're masturbating yourself at the same time, like that's going to turn him on because he's like, oh, she likes this. She's getting turned on. And you could fake some of that. I mean, you don't have to be, because it is sort of, it can be difficult to keep your mind on two things at the same time. So to the extent that it's difficult for you to do that, you could sort of make it a little bit more like you're enjoying it than you really are. But you have to be very careful because I think guys can be pretty sensitive and aware of what's going on there. Okay. Well, I think that about wraps up our time together today. Uh, This is episode 81 of Your Mileage May Vary. I think Keith will probably be back for the next episode. Um. And I don't, yeah, I don't know if I can top uh, what I've done for you. I'm really pleased, by the way, uh, that the evening of my personal slope day, 
I still feel fine. I don't have a headache or any sort of hangover experience. So that's a positive of psilocybin. I have to give it credit for that. Um, I'm a little worried that I'm going to have some sort of strange dreams tonight. Probably will. Something terrible will happen. I'll have to muddle through that. Um, and I'm sure given what I've said in this episode, I'll get a nice grilling from Keith. Keith probably has his own experiences he can share. Uh, but I was felt privileged to share my experience with you guys, and you can feel free to write in with your feedback or questions. As always on Twitter at YMMVPod, uh, email at YMMVPod at gmail.com. Of course, you can rate and review us on your favorite, uh, rate, and review, and subscribe on your favorite um, podcasting app. And uh, we've appreciated you being here. I've appreciated you being here for episode 81, and I hope you'll be here for episode 82 next week. Thanks a lot, and see you. Bye. Je fais et je viens Entre tes reins Je vais et je viens Je me retiens Non